Let's get out our Bibles on this Labor Day weekend, and uh, let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 as we continue through this book of Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 5. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are grateful for this place that we can come. I am grateful and privileged to be allowed by you to pastor this amazing group of, of people, Lord, for so many years. And I pray now, Lord, that as we open your word, God, that you would continue to strengthen our faith, that you would deepen our love and commitment and resolve, Lord, to uh, be those, Lord, who are salt and light in this crazy world that we are in presently. Lord, crazy times, in many ways, unprecedented times, Lord. And and your word says that the last days would be like that. They would be, as Timothy tells us, demonically energized times. And we certainly are aware of that around us. And, and, and that should encourage us, Lord, that, that your promises, what you said would happen, Lord, in the days before your return are exactly what's happening. And so, God, uh, may that encourage us to know, Lord, that in spite of when we think things are out of control, Lord, we know who is in control. And so, Lord, we can rest in that and, and have peace in that. And Lord, I pray as we open your word this morning, God, that you would continue, Lord, to convict us, uh, Lord, to encourage and, 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 Lord, help us to be those who are able to give to every man an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within us. And Lord, to be a church that is uh, putting into practice, Lord, what your word teaches us. And, and Lord, what it sets before us as we live in these last days. And so we ask your blessing upon this time. If there be any here today who have not yet given their lives to you, I pray that this would be the day when they would come, Lord, and receive the gift of eternal life and forgiveness that has been purchased through the finished work of the cross in Jesus Christ. And so bless this time of study in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of my message is A Pastor's Desire for the Church. Paul begins here in this third chapter by asking for prayer. Let's read in verses 1 through 5 that we will look at today. Finally, brethren, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. In chapter 1 here, Paul encouraged this church in Thessalonica because they were discouraged. They were being persecuted. They were a relatively young church, only uh, several months old in the Lord, scholars say. And yet they were making a stand for Christ. And as a result, they were being harassed and, and rejected and, and uh, punished for uh, that stand for Christ. 
Uh, chapter 2, they were being deceived and, and used and, and uh, led off into uh, false teachings. False teachers that showed up on the scene and, and said because they took advantage of their suffering, because they were being persecuted uh, and, and, and harassed, that, well, they were already in the tribulation and the day of the Lord and, and the day of judgment. And Paul had to set that in order. And you remember, uh, Paul said, listen, uh, the judgment of God, the great tribulation that would come upon planet Earth, will not happen until first there's a, a turning away, a rebellion against the teaching of the Word of God in a, a huge way, and that the restrainer, the church, would be removed and raptured and taken to heaven. And then the Antichrist would come on the scene, and that, would, of course, would culminate in Jesus Christ coming at the end of that tribulation. So he set things in order there. He enlightened them because they were upset by that. And, and uh, you know, justifiably so. And so Paul had to correct that. Here in chapter 3, we hear Paul's heart as a pastor in these first five verses. He, he loves this church. I, I think it's pretty evident as we have been studying both, for, both first and second Thessalonians that Paul, this church held a special place in his heart. As a pastor, you know what? This church holds a special place in my heart for you all. I mean, I, I just am I'm so blessed to be a part of this fellowship here for so many years. And my desire as your pastor continues to be what Paul really sets forth here, uh, that, uh, that you, that we as a church would be marked by the, the qualities that Paul brings forth here in our text. What are they? Well, there are five things here that we're going to look at in our time together that Paul, as the pastor of this church, desires that I also desire of you. First of all, here, as we look at this, we see that, well, Paul is wanting this church to be a praying church. You see, in verses one, through two, 1 and 2, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. I, I love this. Paul asks for prayers from this church, and, and the way he starts this uh, last chapter is, he says, finally, brethren, and then he goes on. I like that, because as a pastor, sometimes I can go on, and so I feel like I'm in good company, because finally doesn't mean he's ending the sermon. Oh, you might think he is, but he's got several verses to go, and sometimes I'll say, and in closing, and then you go, yeah, and he's, that means nothing. <laughs> this, this pastor, as Paul, has a struggle with bringing the plane in for a landing sometimes. It's just, just par for the course. Uh, but Paul here, in closing here, is basically, uh, he's, he's just saying, and listen, here's, here's what, in, in just looking at things, 
I want to draw to your attention. That, that, that's kind of what finally means here. Note he calls uh, the, these who he is addressing brethren. That would include the sistren as well. And uh, so that includes male and female. And, and Paul asked the church, he says, pray for us. Paul, Timothy, and Silas are writing this letter from Corinth. And Paul is asking these believers, these young believers, he is asking them for prayer. You see, when it's asking for prayer, the tense of that phrase is continually surround us with prayer. It's an imperative tense. And, and so Paul is saying, essentially, will you pray for us continually that we might be bathed in and surrounded by and immersed in your prayers? I like that. A pastor, a picture here that the people are praying for Paul. This young group of believers praying for the great, gifted, very intellectual, spiritual man with many years of experience in ministry is asking these young believers for prayer. Why? Because Paul knew the priority and the power of prayer. What this does is it demonstrates humility on Paul's part. It demonstrates dependency on Paul's part. I'm not the invincible big cheese who has it together going, you poor people, you, you don't know, man. You can't, there's, you don't know anything. You, you can't have near the impact. That wasn't his attitude. His attitude was, you know what, people? I, as your pastor, need prayers. You see, contrary to popular belief, I have no red line, hotline to God. Sometimes people will come up and say, Pastor, I know if you pray for me that God will hear you and things will happen. So will you please pray for me? Know this. I, 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 I'm no special one in that sense. You see, you all have, we all have the same access to God. The invitation is given to all. You see, when Jesus died on that cross, he opened the doors. The veil of the temple that separated God from man, you see, was opened up, and the invitation was given, come boldly before the throne to find what? Grace to help to meet the need. Isn't that good? That's so good. Hey, the invitation by the creator of heaven and earth 
who put the, the, the globe here, creating it all, put the seas in their place, the oceans in their place, the land, set it spinning just the perfect distance on the perfect angle from the sun with all the planets going around it in the midst of a universe that's cataclysmic and full of black holes and different things, and it has been gone now for a long time. Hey, listen, if you believe in evolution, man, you got some splaining to do there. Come on, you don't think that's really the case. This, this just evolved. How is that even possible? Now, not to mention the, your body that God has given you, the onboard computer that repairs itself. You know what? I mean, the ability for the, the eye and the complexity of the eye, well, it just happened because one little cell decided to talk to this little cell, and this little cell talked to that little cell. Shut up. You talk about something that takes faith to believe, that has got to be it. <laughs> like saying the car that you drive was a result of some kind of an explosion of materials, and it came all together to be a car. It's insanity. It's insanity. But I say that to remind you that the God who created you, who put you here on planet Earth, he put you here with purpose. He, he loves you, you see, and he demonstrated that love in sending his son to die, you see, in your place, to take upon himself the wrath and the punishment for your sins, for my sin, upon himself, to open a way that we can come without fear. We can come reverently but boldly before the throne of God. And what are we going to find? A God who is not angry going, I hate you, you blew it this week, you're an idiot. He goes, hey, listen, Come boldly, and you're going to find grace. Grace. And help to meet whatever the need is. Isn't that good to know? And to know that your prayers, listen, they're just as effective as mine. God doesn't hear me quicker than he hears you. We, when we come in prayer, we all come on a, a level playing field. We have equal access. It's a, a definite equal access situation. I'm not saying don't misunderstand that I won't pray for you. In fact, it's a blessing for me to go with you to our Heavenly Father together. But listen, if you can't get hold of me, or a brother or sister or someone in the body. There's power in, in joining together in prayers. But my prayers aren't anything different than your prayers. We are to pray for one another. The Bible says we're to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another. We all have faults, right? We all blow it. We all say and do stupid things, and we all uh, do the wrong thing. And, and the Bible says, uh, okay, here, here's how to he be helped with that. You need to confess, listen, I'm sorry the way I responded to you or what I said to you or how I dealt with this situation. Will you forgive me? And, and, then, and then you confess that fault, and then you pray together that God will help you in the future to grow in that you see, to, to submit more quickly to the will and the word of God. We're to, in prayer, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
So Paul here, we see his humility in asking for prayer. We see his dependency in asking for prayer. A great model, an example for those people. He's saying, pray for me. And, and of course, he'll pray. He's praying for them. He, he, again, he believed in the power of prayer. I, I honestly believe that the impact of this church and the ministry here of this church and the community and the world uh, beyond is the result primarily of a praying body of believers. I can't do what I do well in any capacity without the prayers. The pastoral team here, we so appreciate your prayers and the, the impact and, and, and the fact that you're here this morning is a testimony that there are people that are praying for me. They're praying for this pastoral team because we can't do, you see, effectively and successfully in the energy of the flesh what God can do in the power of the Spirit. And I know there are people here, there are people that you, when you get to glory, you will get credit for what God's done here, the lives that God has saved here, the, the marriages that have been healed through the counsel of God's word and, and the impact here of the community. That is going to be due to the fact that you people are praying for me. And I know, I, I may not know who you are until the Lord comes back, but I know there's a good solid group of people who regularly pray for me and that's why you're here today you see because God is working and moving and 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 I'm blessed by your prayers because they're definitely needed and that we pray for one another you know the different ministries here in the church there are so many uh, different ministries going on. Children's ministry, people are praying for that. There's women's ministry, there's men's ministry, there's the grief share ministry, there's the gatekeeper's ministry, the, the greeters, there's the sound, the video, the parking lot, the ushers, the worship team, the men's prayer, the homeschool group, the abide small group studies. All those ministries are the result of and need prayer to be successful you see we can't do what God's called us to do on our own successfully all the evangelistic outreaches we've done over the years with the uh, sunrise service with the things that God has opened and now uh, up at the doors of the the fair there where we've been able to uh, see people come to the Lord it's all a result of your praying and desiring to see God move in that capacity. The unity and the harmony and the effectiveness, you see, are direct result of a commitment of people to pray. And my desire, precious saints, in whatever time I have left as your pastor, that you will continue to pray for me and the godly men who uh, are uh, with me here as we serve this church, put us high on your priority list because it is a battle, okay? And you know where the enemy wants to take, you know who he wants to take down? 
He wants to take down me. He wants to take down the pastoral team. He wants to do that because if he can get me, if he can get the pastoral team here, Chris and the various guys, then he can create this instability. And so he goes after those that would lead. That's why Paul says, pray for me. I can't do this alone. It's not my abilities or giftedness. It's the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit as God's people pray. And Paul, I love the fact that he didn't just leave it in the kind of ethereal kind of pray just generally. He asked for prayer specifically. What was, what was it that he asked for? Well, we read here that he asked for the success of the message when he says, finally, brethren, pray for us. And here's, here's what he's praying. That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as, as it is with you. What's he praying for? That the word of God, the word of the Lord. I, I like that phrase. Throughout the scriptures, whenever the prophets spoke, they would say, thus saith the Lord. Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. Uh, sometimes it would be, this is the word of the Lord. What was Paul asking for prayer for as they preached, as they taught God's word? That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Just like God's moving in your life as a church. God is working it's the result of the word of God. And our prayer, the prayer Paul is saying is, is that the word of God would be free to run its course. That people would respond to the preaching and the teaching of God's word. That the word of God, that the Bible would be honored. The picture is that of a, an Olympic runner. So one thing I hate doing is running. My wife says, Oh, don't you love it? The endorphins kick in. I said, my endorphins are dead. <laughs> Whenever I'm on my row machine or if I'm running and, you know, or walking, I'm just going, uh, the, the, they're going to kick in at any moment. I, I, used, I don't do much of that anymore, but I used to hope they would because I believed them. I, I don't have them. I'm sorry, I pushed it, I pushed it. And then after I get done running or whatever, I'm going, I feel like throwing up right now. I'm going <laughs> to barf. What good is this? Now, some, some people have it, and I don't know, maybe I'm missing something, but, you know, why would you intentionally go out and run around the block when you have a skateboard or an electric bike, electric bike, car, you know, something like that? Now, if you're a walker and you're a runner, God bless you, that's, that's fine, and, and I appreciate you. I, I have an electric bike, and you know what's kind of fun? You can't really tell it's electric because of the word of the battery. Some of them you can tell. This one is not so obvious. Um, the trained eye could probably tell. But in, in the early days of having it, when I would go out riding, you know, you could add the assist and add the assist. So you're going up Kalen Ranch Road there, and uh, some of you know that's a, a good hill, and there's these younger guys riding their bikes, and they're on regular bikes, and I'm on mine, and I just have it on assist about nine, you know, and, and I just go whizzing by them, not breathing hard or anything. <laughs> I'm sure they're going, that old man is doing good, man. 
But Paul was saying, hey, we want the word to go and to be received from those who hear it. The uh, paraphrase translation translates it like this. Pray that the master's word will simply take off and race through the country to a groundswell of response just as it did among you. That's a great, great paraphrase of that verse. I like the fact that Paul says the word of the Lord. As your pastor, and I believe any pastor, our primary task is that of one. And that task is to preach and to teach the word of God in the power of the Spirit. Nothing more and nothing less. I'm not to preach anything else. Nothing added, nothing taken away, nothing substituted. The term used here for preaching is to herald or to proclaim. You see, in those days, they didn't have newspapers or the internet or texting, so the herald would go into the town square and he'd unroll the scroll and he would say, Hear ye, hear ye, the message to the people of the king. And then he would read exactly what the king wrote. He wasn't free to take any words away. He wasn't free to embellish or add words or reinterpret it. He was not allowed to substitute any words. He was unable by death to change that message in any way. He was just to give the message. And that's what we are called to do. That's what a pastor is called to do. I'm to open the Bible and read the Bible and explain the Bible and apply the Bible to the lives of God's people. Nothing more and nothing less. I am just to preach and to teach the Word of God and to reflect it in the way that I live my life. Paul, writing to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, you see, he said, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. In other words, when you're teaching, you're going to suffer. People are not going to like it. Some are going to, uh, you know, get after you. You're going you're to be attacked. But with all long suffering and, and teaching, hang in there. And then he tells them why. Why he tells Timothy he needs to preach the word. He warns him and says, because Timothy, do it at every opportunity for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you fulfill your ministry. Listen, I am as your pastor. Well, pastor, that's kind of harsh. Well, is it there in the Bible? Well, yes. Well, then how's it harsh? It's God's word. It's not my job to soften it or to backpedal it in any way. It's my job, hopefully, in, in, in an attitude with a heart of love for y'all that I'm going to preach and teach 
what God has to say and not my opinions and ideas. You don't need that. That's not going to help anybody at the end of the day. And then you need to pray that as I preach, the Word of God runs its course. That it changes lives, that it touches hearts. That the Word of God would go out uh, through me or, or any of the pastoral team with clarity and authority. That would take off. That would race through the country. That there would be a groundswell. If we ever needed a groundswell of God's Word racing through the country, we need it today. The church has got a job before her. We have a job before us. Paul asked them to pray for the success of the ministry, the effective preaching and teaching of the Word. You see, secondly, he asked them to pray for the safety of those that are giving that message, that they may be delivered, what he, he says here in verse 2, from unreasonable and wicked men. Uh, we don't have to go far to look for those, do we? How many reasonable people are left in the world? See, I mean, I mean, it's it's a crazy time, isn't it? Unreasonable people, illogical, irrational. Just isn't this? I mean, they've lost the grasp of the obvious as to what a man and what a woman is. For goodness' sake, I mean, uh, the basics that we knew for years. Now suddenly, the elite say, "Well, it's no longer that way." How do you know? Well, I've got my PhD. <laughs> well, good for you. You know, does that make you the authority? I'll tell you what, God's the authority. And what God says, it doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and good news, you can rest. A man is a man, and a woman is a woman, and we know what that is, okay? <laughs> We're not here scratching our heads going, well, should it really be... Uh, I mean, it's just insanity. Unreasonable. It makes no sense. And wicked. Uh, hating those that disagree. It, it's, uh, we can't disagree agreeably. There's, there's hate going on. And, and there's this, this kind of motivation just, just to kind of shut down what God's Word clearly states. Paul here obviously writing this letter from Corinth, I believe, had in mind when he says, deliver us from unreasonable and wicked men, I believe he had in mind what's in Acts 17 and 18 where the Jews were opposing him there in Corinth. And so he's saying, God, protect us from these evil men. And, and the, 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 the evil we can see clearly when you watch the news. Can't you see it? I mean, people just randomly murdering people, kidnapping people, raping people. I mean, it's gone on. I'm not saying that it's never gone on before in history, but, but it's growing, you see. It's increasing. It's, it's getting crazier all the time. God, protect us. We need to pray for one another that God would protect us. Pray for, for me and, and, again, the pastoral team that God would, would protect us, that, that he would protect our children, our, our grandchildren from these out-of-place, perverse, wicked, wicked, evil people. 
And then he goes on, he says, for not all have faith. Not all have faith. Some, well, they have faith in the wrong things. They don't have faith in the right one. All of us have faith to some degree, right? You, you drove here in your car, didn't you? Most of you. You trusted that the guy on the other side of the road or the guy next to you was going to stay in his lane, that he was going to stop when the light turned red. I mean, we, there's a certain amount of faith uh, definitely exercised in driving, and it's increasingly you know, out there. I mean, we need more faith. But misplaced faith, because people do run red lights and things happen, I mean, that are painful. People die, you see. But faith in the Lord, that's the key. Not all have faith. Not all Christians, in fact, have the depth of faith they could. Paul's saying, hey, uh, listen, uh, they, they have faith, but, but, but not the faith that they could or should. And, and we all falter there, don't we, at times? We all go, God, where are you? Lord, why didn't you do it this way? And, and why didn't you work out this situation and, and deal with this situation differently? And I, I trusted you, Lord. And you didn't come through. You see, Paul's prayer here is that they should have full faith. That they should have complete trust in God. And he reminds them, hey, not all have faith. Maybe the kind of faith that you would like. And we're in different ages and stages of, of our relationship with the Lord. But he goes on. He says, but the Lord is faithful. I like that. Because we've all been flaky at times when it comes to faith. We've professed, oh, I trust the Lord. And then all of a sudden, boom, you lose your job. Oh, Lord, what, what happened? Where are you, Lord? What, you've left me. You don't care about me anymore. Or, or, you know, you got the diagnosis of cancer. Or, you know, I mean, many things could happen. And all of a sudden, our faith falters. We flake out in our frustration, in our, our wishing and hoping of a different circumstance or situation. But know this, precious saint, even when your faith fails and you doubt, guess what? Paul reminds them. He reminds us today, but the Lord is faithful. Amen. The Lord is faithful. You may wonder at times why God allows certain things to happen and why he did things the way, the opposite way of what you wanted. But listen, know this, even in the difficult and dark days, you can trust him. David in Psalm 23 again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, God remains faithful. He will never leave you. He will never confuse or drop you. He will be there for you to care for you. And you can take that to the bank. 
Paul is encouraging these believers, and then he exhorts them in verse 6. He wants them to, to pray for him and the other apostles. He wants them to, to trust the Lord, to be faith-filled. That's the second thing. And then uh, verse 3, he desired that they be protected from the enemy. Read here, but the Lord is faithful who will what? Establish you and guard you from the evil one. He will establish you and guard you. God will strengthen you and protect you and know that this saying, there is nothing that can happen in your life by way of the attack of the enemy that God won't use ultimately for your good and, and for his glory. And, and it, just like Joseph said uh, to his brothers, you intended it for evil when you threw me into the pit and left me. But now, as I look back, God intended it for good. God is in control. And so that's what Paul is reminding them of. And yeah, there's going to be trouble. Uh, there's going to, you're going to face difficulty. But listen, there's no temptation of the enemy that has overtaken you except, except such is common to man. But God is faithful. When you're tempted, God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. But with the temptation, we'll also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, sadly, we don't always take it. But God always will give you a way of escape. You can never say, I can never say as a Christian, the devil made me do it. No, no. The devil didn't make you do anything. You see, whenever temptation comes, you have a choice. You have a choice to handle it God's way. Oh, I, I just feel like I can. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel like. The fact of the matter is the Bible says you can. In fact, there's no temptation taking you. And know this, you're not, oh, nobody struggles with this temptation. Like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the only one. I'm weird. I'm, the only one. I'm not saying you're not weird. Okay, <laughs> what I am saying is that, because all of us have a little weirdness, but, but what I am saying is God says temptation is common. We all struggle to varying degrees with different things, but temptation is common to all of us. When it comes, God is faithful to give us an opportunity to have victory over that area. It's our choice as to what we do with it. Good news is if we fail to make the right choice, and many times we do, we can go to God and say, God, that was a dumb choice. And you know what? I made it, and it's my fault. I own it, and I sinned against you. God, I recognize and confess that it's sin. I agree with you, and it's nobody's fault but mine. You see, will you forgive me? And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's good news. Listen, you're not alone. When you're walking through a difficult time, a, a dark or deep valley, you're not alone. Even when you feel alone, the Lord is with us. When you flake out, he remains faithful. Paul 
set the example. When he writes to young Timothy, he's in prison. And it says, he says to him in, in 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord, Timothy, will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Amen. I want you to know that those were perhaps the very last words ever penned by the Apostle Paul. A paraphrase of that, trans, of, of that verse is, The Master stood by me and helped me spread the message loud and clear to those who had never heard it. I was snatched from the jaws of the lion. God's looking after me. And here's the verse. God's looking after me, keeping me safe in the kingdom of heaven. All praise to him. Praise forever. Paul writes that in prison. He was in prison when Caesar Nero was in charge. He was brought before Caesar Nero, who tormented Christians, who hated Christians, who used to cover them in pitch and tie them to posts in his garden, and then he'd light them up, riding around in his chariot, lighting them on fire and watching them burn. That's a, that's a different kind of perversion. That's Hitler-like stuff. He'd ride around shrieking in his chariot. Paul was brought before this man, Nero. He was put on trial. He was accused of treason against the Roman government. Why? Because he would not call Caesar Lord. He would not bow down and worship Caesar. And for that reason, he was taken out of the city and beheaded. Now someone may say, but Paul said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Doesn't seem like that's what happened with Paul. It doesn't seem like that only because uh, we don't take to heart the fact many times that once he, his head was lopped off, when that blade fell and his head was put in that basket detached from his body, when Paul took his last breath here, guess what? He showed up in heaven with a crown in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. God's faithful. He doesn't always do it your way because Father knows best. Jude said, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, in verse 24, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So this church is to be a praying church. It's to be a faith-filled church. You see, it's to be one that is protected from Satan. And then fourthly, it's to be an obedient church. You see, Paul says there in the fourth verse, and, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things that we command you. Paul's confidence, you see, in this church doing what God has commanded them is linked to the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. He will enable he will strengthen you. He will keep you from the evil. And so Paul is confident 
that they will do and that they have been doing the things that have been commanded by God. The apostles were preaching and teaching the word. Well, you can't preach and teach the whole Bible without talking about commands that God has issued. Some, some of us don't like that. Well, who are you to command me? That's the attitude today. Who are you? Who made you the big cheese? Who are you to command me? Well, listen, when God's doing it, he's your creator. I think, you know what? Uh, if it weren't for him, you would not be breathing right now. You would not be here. You would not be able to do anything. You wouldn't exist. But the one who created you with plan and purpose and who loves you and demonstrated that love in his son on the cross, taking your place for your sin, paying the guilt and taking the shame for your sin, he is the one who is given to you as his child commandments. Okay? Commandments. And we are called and given those commandments in order to keep those commandments. Now, the commandments don't save us, okay? Know that. Those aren't going to save us, the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, uh, I need to do all those in order to be saved. No, you don't have to do those to be saved. The commandments aren't given to save us. We obey him and the commands not to earn salvation, but because we have been given salvation. It's an expression of our love. Paul told Timothy, these things command and teach. So if the word of God is being preached, proclamation is being made, you're going to hear some commandments, something that God wants and desires for you, not for his benefit, but for your benefit and blessing. And the commands that are given in God's word are not suggestions or recommendations. Okay? They're commands. It's not like options. Well, you know, I know what this says, but I don't care. I, you know, it's just kind of God. It's, he's just kind of wanting to spoil my party or whatever. You see, in Philippians, when Paul says in chapter 2, verse 12, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean we work for our salvation. It means that we live out what God has given us freely by his grace. It says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling there in Philippians. And if you take that text out of the context, then you, you miss the point of it. It's got, because it goes on to say, because it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You let it come out. God's working in your heart. Okay, when God convicts me and commands me not to do a certain thing in my heart, you see, and, and then I, I go, okay, Lord, I, I want to obey you, and I uh, refuse, and I turn from that thing. Then people see what works out. They, they see God does and who God is. Listen, there's a commandment that's given to us, all of us. The last words before Jesus ascended into heaven. He gave to the disciples that were standing there observing the great commission. 
If you don't know what it is, most of you probably do, but if you don't know what it is, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Guess what? What's that mean? Well, that means it's kind of, you know, God's thinking that we should tell people about him. That we should maybe consider, you know, and, and, and you know, this is primarily for you preachers that were to preach. Now, you know, no, no, that's for all of us. Okay, and it's, a, it's not a suggestion. It's not, uh, you know, an option if you're going to be blessed. If you want to see God work through you and use you, guess what? You need to submit to his command. And you need, to, you need to not worry about what the world's telling you. They're telling us to shut up. Have you noticed that? Now, why is it that it seems like, I don't know, maybe I'm just making this up in my mind. But I think maybe of you will, maybe some of you will agree with me. It seems like, well, there's nobody saying that they can't talk about Buddha or Muhammad or, you know, Hare Krishna or Scientology or, but when it comes to talking about Jesus, we're going to sue you. We're, we don't want to hear it. Shut up about Jesus. Why is that? I'll tell you why it is. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power to change your life in the Word of God, in the Bible. And we are commanded not to shut up. They want to silence us. We are commanded not to be silent. Keep your religion to yourself. No. Why not? Because my God says, I can't. So I want to tell you about my Jesus. Now, it's one thing. If they don't want to hear it, they can walk away. But guess what? That's not going to stop me from taking it to those that I contact that are around me. I'm going to continue to preach it and teach it and tell people about Jesus. That's what we're called to do. To follow those commandments Jesus gave us. And then not only to preach the gospel, but to make disciples. To bring people in and, and help them in the relationship with the Lord. So important. To help them grow. And they grow both by hearing the word and receiving counsel from God's word for their marriage, for raising children, for their financial difficulties, uh, for whatever a situation you may face. What does the Bible say? How are we to deal with this according to God's word? We need to bring the wonderful counselor uh, counsel of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the prince who brings peace. How we need peace, but you can't have it apart, apart from the prince of peace. You got you to get it from Jesus. We're to pass the word down to the next generation. This is the job of the preacher. We're to pray that the people who hear would respond. 
I wonder when you hear the word, do you just obey or, or, I mean, do you just observe or do you obey? That's a great message this morning, Pastor. Yeah? So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? When you walk out of here, how's it going to impact this week and what you do this week? Do you put it into practice? I'm preaching to myself. Okay. I'm not up here preaching to you. This is God's word. I'm preaching to myself. I'm going, God, help me. God, help me. The church, the church should be a praying church. It should be a faith-filled church. Paul prays, and we need to pray that, uh, for protection of those who carry the message from the enemy, from the unreasonable. He wants it to be o- an obedient church. And then he says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, there in verse 5. May the Lord lead you into a full understanding and the expression of the love of God. May, listen to this, because this is the opposite of what the world's saying. The world is saying, you know what you need to do, man? You just need to follow your heart. Really? What if my heart wants to beat the daylights out of this person in front of me because he's being an idiot? The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Don't follow your heart, precious saints. You'll end up in a world of hurt following your heart. What are we to follow? He says, direct your hearts here. Direct your hearts into what? In verse 5, the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Direct your hearts into the love of God. Now, is this love of God referring to God's love for us or our love for God? Or is it referring to God's love in us for others? What's the reference here? I believe it's all three. I believe if you know God loves you, and the Bible says he's proven it, and that while you were yet sinners, Christ died. He took your place. He took the wrath of a holy God upon himself. The shame was treated like a sinner. You see, so that you could be like, treated like a son or daughter. So the love of God was demonstrated there. And then as a result of us receiving that love, then we love him back. And then if we love him back, what's God love to do? He loves to save people. So we love people as a result. You see, I believe all three are referred to here. And Paul is praying for these people in this church. And I pray for us as a church that the Spirit of God would draw us into a deeper understanding of God's love for us. Why? So that we can love one another better and so that we can love those that are lost better. We can reach out and we can love God in all of that doing so. You see, we can love God better. The love of God is far greater, someone said, than any tongue or pen can ever tell. It's infinite love. It's eternal love. It's everlasting love. It's unconditional love. I, you know, why does God love me? I don't know. 
I don't know why God loves me. I'm just thankful he does, aren't you? Well, how do you know God loves you? Because it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Guess what? I believe that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The Bible says to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The love of God, the Romans tells us, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We're not only to love those that love us, we're to do what? We're to love our enemies. Ooh. That's a different kind of love, huh? Yeah. It's God's love. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that that can be accomplished. Then the final thing that Paul wants for this church is to keep looking for the Lord. That's what he says. He says here, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. As we wait for Christ patiently, that's the idea here, looking to him to give us strength and power to live life as he's called us to, to live lives that are holy, that are godly. There's nothing more important to that end, nothing more helpful than living daily, expecting the Lord could come back. In other words, to live like you're dying, as the country western song goes. This could be your last day on earth. The Lord could come back at any moment. And when he comes, is he going to find you doing what he's called you to do? Living as he's called you to live? You see, heaven, put your eyes on heaven, it awaits. You see, I hope this is the day. I, I wouldn't mind at all if before we do the last song, or at the end of the last song, the trumpet sounded, and we're out. That'd be great. Although Daniel wouldn't get to teach his study on worry tonight. So if you're worried about that, come out tonight. But, but here's the deal. Heaven. You see, heaven is not just a destination. Heaven is a motivation. That's what Paul is saying. Keep your eyes on the prize, man. We are not going to live here. Yeah, we got troubles here. Jesus said we'll have troubles here. But, but don't live just here on this plane. You see, live with heaven in view. It'll motivate how you live. It'll, it'll cause you to live differently. Hey, I'm headed for heaven. And, and listen, this is as bad as it gets for us as Christians on this earth. It only gets better from here. You see, for the, for the non-believer, if you're not a believer, this is the best you're going to have. I'm, I'm worried about you. You see, heaven is a destination, yes, but it is a cause for motivation. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he made a promise. If I go to prepare a place for you, and since I do, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that there, where I am, there you may be also. Listen, if you want to motivate your children, 
And I'll close with this. I'm really closing with this, okay? If you want to motivate your children to clean their room, when they are told to clean their room and, and you hear them, oh, how, do I, how come I have to clean my room? How come I always have to do this or do that? And, 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 they're just, and then they're in there going, I don't know, I'm stupid. I don't know where this goes. I don't know where that goes. And they're just lethargic and just slowly, slowly as they can, moving, getting distracted with their ADD in the meantime intentionally. And, and then they're just complaining and whining and complaining. If you want to motivate them and change their attitudes in a very short order, all you have to do is say, hey, guess what, kids? Soon as you're done cleaning your room, we're going to Disneyland. <laughs> what? You know, the whole mood, the whole deal, really? Yeah. Oh, boy, guess what? We're going to Disneyland. Can I suggest, adults, heaven is way better than Disneyland. In fact, Disneyland looks like a dump and a trash heap compared to heaven. And listen, the greatest thing you see in heaven is not just the stuff. It's the Savior who loves us. You see, that's why we live. We live to love and respond to his love for us. And he's taken us to heaven to be in his presence for all eternity. And he's going to hold us and hug us and, and, and reward us and, and bless us. And he's going to, we're going to discover, I mean, I don't know, if he created this place, and he did in, in seven days, 24-hour periods, he, he created the heaven and the earth, put everything on it that's on it, you and me, and everything that's here, and the fish, and the different colors, and the flowers, and the different colors, and the different, you know, assortment of things. I mean, can you imagine what the rest of our life eternally will be like? As he says, hey, you think that's cool? Come and see this. You think that's cool? Come and check this out. Hey, uh, Oh, I got, here, let me let you do this. You're going to let me do it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and do this. And I mean, we're going to have a great time in heaven. May that be the thing that motivates you to continue to press towards that mark of the high calling of God and to live for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and for the work of your spirit to minister to our hearts, and I pray now, Lord, as, uh, Lord, we have heard these things, God, that you would continue to cause us, Lord, to pay attention, that we might be a people, that we might be a church that is impacting the world around us, Lord, that we would be those who are living for your glory, that we would be a people that make prayer a priority. God, that we would be those who confess our faults one to another and pray for one another. Who, Lord, continue to pray for, uh, Lord, just your work among us, Lord, not only in our homes and in our families, but, Lord, for this church in this community and into the world, ultimately, Lord, that we would be those who are shining the light, showing the life and the love of Christ to those around us who are lost. Knowing, Lord, that we are on our way to heaven, may, may it be a motivation that brings, Lord, 
to us joy as we share the love of our Savior. Lord, in the grace that you've shown us, Lord, may we show that to others. God, help us to be effective communicators of the message of your word to those around us. And Lord, I pray if there's any here that have not yet given their lives to you, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.